on today's podcast, it's spring training. We'll talk about Carlos Quentin's move to first base, as well as some other position battles. We'll talk about the Padres failing to sign Yuan Moncada, and we'll also talk about MLB TV. This is the March 4th edition of the Intelligence Podcast. Everybody to another edition of the Intelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined as always by Padres Jagoff. And we're here on, a, on an exciting, well, we're recording this on an exciting night, but it'll be posted, I believe, on an exciting day, which is, of course, the first chance to see the new Padres on the field. I know. Uh, I, I kind of find it a little funny. Jason Lane's going to be starting that game at starting pitcher. I mean, that's. Uh, Funny to me. I don't know why. You know, I, I, you can look at it that way, but at the same time, I would argue that Jason Lane on the mound last year was among my highlights of the season. There were not very many highlights last year, and, and just seeing him succeed was a, a good story that I really enjoyed watching. You know, it's funny. I, I actually downloaded all of the Zips projections recently, so uh, I think everyone's probably familiar if you're listening to the podcast with the different projection systems. But one of them, and the guy who writes at ESPN, Dan Zimbowski, he comes out with a system called Zips. And he used to do it um, for people who played Diamond Mind Baseball. It was like a computer simulation game where you could download a much more elaborate sheet. And I still download that every year because it's cool. It has, like, percentages of players hitting, getting 200 hits, hitting 30 home runs or, or, or whatnot. And what's funny this year is actually if you go look at the Padres' projections – one of the top hitting projections in terms of rate statistics for the Padres is Jason Lane. And I actually reached out to him and asked if it was like an air, like there was something wrong with his script. And nope, it's actually really bullish on Jason Lane as a hitter this year, which is a little strange to me. Well, a little strange, but uh, I kind of like the idea of a, uh, a pitcher that can hit. I, I actually, you know, it didn't work out, but when we had Micah Owings on the team, I thought it was a, a decent experiment to uh, to go after. Yeah, and, and, I, and honestly, Jason Lane wasn't all that bad on the mound. I mean, obviously, he has terrible stuff, but he seems to have you know get 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 people out. Um, I mean, at the very least, as organizational depth, having a pitcher who can, who can come eat innings, maybe you know at replacement level, but brings a above replacement level bat. I mean, that's not the end of the world to me. Assuming he's like your ninth starter in line, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's not a good sign if, you know, starting rotation wise, Jason Lane's coming up and, and pitching, but um, to have that in the quiver at triple a, you know, it's, you could have worse tools than that. Yeah. And you never know. Sometimes in, you know, things don't going, don't go necessarily according to plan. You know, you'd like to be able to call up your top, triple a uh, starting pitcher when you need a starting pitcher at the major league level but sometimes because of where they are in the rotation you know and where they are location wise it might make sense not to call up matt whistler for example and instead call up someone who you know you find more uh expendable and who can do a little bit at the major league level and i think jason lane might fill that role as the guy who if the timing doesn't work out right let's say someone gets scratched the day before a start or whatever, and you have to call someone up and you don't want to burn an option, 
I mean, Jason Lane might be that guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't break camp. All right, sorry, not break camp. I, I would be really surprised if he broke camp. I, I wouldn't be too surprised if he actually shows up on the Padres roster at some point. No, I wouldn't either. Um, and, and with a guy like Whistler, you know, a top prospect who, you know, there were r- reports last year that he was very disappointed that he didn't make the major league team. Uh, I, I think some people even speculated that affected his performance, but that's not the kind of player you want to, you want to, you, you know, shuttle back and forth between El Paso five times whenever you need a spot start. That's what, that's what the Jason Lanes of the world are for. Yeah, and I think with the rotation being so deep, and it's something I talked about uh, in one of our articles, you know, a lot of times you don't even need a fifth starter. You could actually just skip him. I, I don't you – know, there's part of me that thinks we should call up Whistler if he's the actual best fifth pitcher, but there's another part of me that says that this year, with this starting staff, there might actually be an argument to keep him down so that you don't, you know, you don't have to risk the Super 2 arbitration status. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as far as starting the spring training um, season off, um, it is weird that, you know, they wouldn't want to throw out one of their marquee names. But um, as far as for entertainment purposes of the uh, preseason Vetter Cup Classic, uh, I think, uh, you know, they could be starting pretty much anyone, and I would be excited for this game tomorrow. Yeah, me too. I actually spent all day today trying to figure out how exactly I'm going to do my MLB TV this year because I don't want to purchase cable. I just don't. It's really expensive, and it's I don't know. It's a personal sticking point to me. But I do want to watch every Potters game, so I have to figure out a way around that. Um, and did you did you not read my post on this? I did. However, I also have a concern about using it on specific computers. So. I'm looking. I'm exploring all my alternatives here. Yeah, it's a little tougher. Then you're looking at VPNs, which is limited on uh, bandwidth. So I, I I don't even think do VPNs even work anymore. I'm pretty sure you have to actually spoof your IP. You can't even just use a VPN. Well, the VPN is you know, it, it's using an IP though. It's you don't have to spoof anything. It's routing it through the the other IP address, right? It it did not work last year. I'll say that yeah. much. So if, if I did something like purchasing an IP address outside the United States, for example, and – or sorry, not even just outside the United States. Let's just say I buy one in Alaska, uh, and then I run my MLB.tv while that's turned on. It works. But if I use a VPN that's in Alaska, for example, it does not work. So I think there's – I think they've gotten a little smarter about it. Also, there's problems with iPads, at least getting an iPad to work. So – Anyways, I did my research. Wait, is that, is that no longer working? I was actually considering buying MLB TV and using my old iPad trick. Uh, as far as I can tell, there's different software with the MLB at bat app now that, that I don't know. I, the, the good news for me is I just bought a Surface, which is the Italian way to say a Surface. Yes. So I don't, I don't have to deal with an iPad. So. What do you mean don't have to? It's the, 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 the best part of the iPad's you know, App Store software for MLB at bat is that it's designed for morons to use, which is why it was so easy to exploit the way that they verified location with the uh, location spoofing. As far as my research can tell, it's not going to work this year. So you might have to get a head start on that right now. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that that is a tough position, though. I was debating the same thing um, on how the only reason – I have cable, actually, is so that I can get Fox Sports San Diego. Um, and I saw there was a, I think Jay, uh, 
what's his name? I don't know. The Posner. Form, Posner, yeah, had something on um, Sports Business Journal had an article about how you know this year again um, local games would still be blacked out on MLB at bat. So that's yeah, the exactly. next, that's the next major step that needs to happen. Yeah, I'm, I I read an article about that too about how. Uh, basically what it comes down to is MLB wants all of it to go through them as opposed to having the MLB games go through, for example, Fox Sports app or, or, or whatever it would be for that given team. It seems like there's a large disagreement there, so I'm not getting my hopes up with that. In the meantime, I don't mind paying $5 a month to avoid paying $100 on cable or whatever the cost of cable is these days. Well, and it's terrible because the tiers that they put Fox Sports San Diego in – you know, if you look at general cable pricing, there's like the super cheap tier, tier which is just networks, local networks, and there's one tier above that, and that's fairly cheap, like twenty, thirty, maybe thirty bucks, and then it jumps like thirty or forty bucks a month, and that's the tier that Fox Sports San Diego starts on. It's awful. Yeah, I just want Fox Sports San Diego, maybe one news channel. Like, I don't even really care which one. When and then, you're downtown, like, you can get by with an antenna. Like, really, all you need is just the Padres games. Yeah, no, that's really all I need. And I'm going to 41 of them, so I'll, I only need it for 121 of the other games. So, Yeah, I mean, you could go exotic and pay someone to have a uh, an extra cable box outside of the, the broadcast area and then sling box it to yourself. I've done that, I've done that before. I used to get Chargers games that way. That's pretty elaborate. I'm not going to do that. I would. It's really. It's actually not that elaborate, and there's no monthly fee for it, so it's it's actually not that bad of an option. But hmm. you need a friend that you can try because if you think about it, it's only ten dollars for an extra box. Um, whoever you use for this would never actually plug the box into a TV. It's just sitting on their their cabinet somewhere, plugged into the wall, uh, and then the sling box attaches to that. So that's yeah. another option. I've thought about re- revising my post. Um, I'll have to do some research on how the iPad situation is not working anymore. But um, that's actually my most visited historic- historically visited post that I've ever had. Uh, is it? I mean, maybe on prior to Intelligence, but I see you get pretty steady traffic on your 21-game uh, review or your um, – what was it about? The expose about them dropping the ticket exchange yeah. program. Yeah, that, that, you know, Gwintelligence days, yeah, that's true. Um, but in Padres' Jagoff days where I was pulling three to four hits per week sometimes, um, I think I think my iPad MLB app thing wound up somewhere in search rankings, and that, that, that would actually pull quite a bit of traffic. Speaking of the 21-game package, I was a little disgruntled to uh, – I don't know if you got the email as a member about when ticket trading is opening up this year. Yeah, uh, April something. Well, really March, but they're using this elaborate, terrible method where for the first month, I think as of yesterday, you can do a trade, but you have to put in a written request to your ticket person, and they process it on the side. Rather than just activating the software that they had last year where you can do all of this online. Actually, the last two years they've had the software. So you're not able to go on, log on to your own account, and make trades until April, whereas last year – they opened this up the day that um, single-game tickets went on sale. Members were allowed to start trading their tickets that day. So did, did do you think they might have ran into, like, an issue where some person traded all of their games for one game or something? I don't know. I'm 
I'm trying to think of reasons you might do is that. Is that bad for the team, though? I mean, I the think tickets, it might. tickets are fungible item. You know, they've got a they've got a, a specific price. Um, obviously, it varies based on the day. But when you do the trade, it takes into account the demand pricing. Right, but you'd rather. I mean, yeah, you would. Re- I mean, if you okay, so I, I mean, I'm I'm new to this, right? So I logged in. I actually had issues logging in. I didn't have my when I uh, got season tickets. I wasn't sent my account number and temporary password, but that's been resolved. So I'm able to log in. I can see all the tickets that I own, which is awesome. I'm not gonna lie. I'm extremely excited about that, much more than I thought I would be. Um, and it seems to me that like if the way it works is like you kind of put up tick, you can either you know forward them to someone or you put them up on StubHub or or whatnot, uh, and then you go. I guess I don't really know how it works, but in my here's how, here's the problem I would see. So if someone wanted to switch all of their games so that they get some Wednesday Cubs game in the future, right? Every time they they switch a single ticket, the supply for that game goes down. And the demand for it, at least in, in terms of ticket price, should go up. And so if they're able to do it bulk for all of them, conceivably they could take up all of the tickets the Padres could sell without the Padres being able to adjust the price, if it's like one of those bulk things. But if it's done by hand or whatever, they have the ability to adjust it on the fly as it goes. I, I would imagine. Well, or at least most the of these on-demand are, ticket prices. for example, let's – Let's let's say they didn't do their research on what games, or they let's say they didn't do complete enough research on which games are going to be popular. They would still want the ability to be able to say, okay, clearly this Cubs game on some Wednesday that's meaningful, and we didn't really realize it was super meaningful, um, is going to sell out. We should adjust the policy around this game or whatever. And and they would have the ability to do that if, as things opened, they got a quick gauge of the market slowly like this prior to letting everyone just trade electronically starting April 1st. I can see an argument for why you might want to do that. So maybe they had an issue in the past. I don't know. This is just I, I mean, it's, it's, it's possible. I'd have a hard time believing 40 to, or 80 tickets would move, move the needle on the demand curve. But um, at the same time, I think the dyna- dyna- dynamic pricing is based off of algorithms that should be updating on the fly. But, uh, but I don't know. It, it's, it's a little bit fan friendly. I'm not nearly as upset about it as, you know, cutting out ticket trading for new customers. Um, but it was a nice perk back in the day that when the single season um, sales open up that as a member, you can now trade your tickets for games that you want to go to and have a little bit better selection of, um, of seats. You know, now the single game tickets are for sale, you know, that the good seats are pretty much taken for a lot of the good games. Um, and, I, I guess I liked it a little better where if you were willing to buy in as a member and you're committing your money to them, that there were perks like maybe having first run at getting those seats. Um, obviously, okay. demand is a lot higher, and the pendulum is, I guess, uh, you know, Padres management has decided to swing that pendulum towards the individual game buyer. I'm not sure I see the logic in that, but um, but I think that this is an example of that. Have you decided you're going to switch any games yet? Oh, I will because – and I think I mentioned it on the podcast, but they did the 21-game packages in a very weird way this year. It used to be you'd get a variety of weeknight or weekday games as part of your package. So you would, say, say get Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday games, which is what my first package was a few years ago. Now 
they sold me a package that's nothing but weekend games and I think the five day games on Wednesdays. So I have a disproportionate number of weekend games. And the way the trading is set up is you can trade a weekend game for a weekend game and a weekday game for a weekday game. No, you can trade a weekend game for anything. For anything, but the credit is lower. You've got to fill in the gap between – well, actually, in their email, they actually specified this. You can trade a weekend game for anything, but you cannot trade a weeknight game for a weekend game. Right. So, but if yours is a disproportionately weekend, that's favorable. Yes, to it, you. it's to my favor. I'd say that we found a, a bit of arbitrage. Nice. So maybe the value that we thought was restricted. Well, I guess for the no, no, no never mind. Well, for new customers, it doesn't matter. Right. And yeah. I, never I think mind. that's why they offered this package in the first place because they did it with the mind of um, of not having ticket trading. And that's partly why I'm worried that in the long term beyond this season, that ticket trading for 21 game packages is um, in danger, which would cause me to explode, probably literally explode. Well, maybe we can find out some solution, but in the meantime, uh, do you want to talk about baseball? Let's, let's do that. All right. So, before we get back to spring training, because there are a lot of actual storylines regarding the Padres, uh, let's just go chronologically here. Uh, the last podcast, we had talked about James Shields. They had signed him, and that was like basically the greatest thing that had ever happened. Uh, now, free agency has basically ended, practically. I mean, there still are some names out there. Um, and the Padres did not sign Yuan Moncada. He went to Boston. Apparently, the Padres were very close on the bidding, but you know what that gets you. Um how did you feel when you found out that he was going to Boston? It wasn't entirely unexpected. I, I didn't. I really didn't think we were going to get him. Um, a lot of things about the, the the way contracts have been structured, and we've talked about it heavily backloaded. I don't think we discussed it for James Shields because the news wasn't out yet. But his contract is also heavily backloaded, um, which tells me either one of two things: the Padres were planning on spending. Um, you know, 2015 money on something, or their cash flow restricted, you know, to a certain amount. And if their cash flow restricted, I don't see, you know, short of doing some type of cash call, how they were going to come up with $30 million lump sum to sign Mankata. You know, it's a, I don't think it was the yearly price that was an issue. I think it, you know, purely that coming up with that lump sum was the issue. Yeah, I mean. I've looked into that a little bit too. I mean, in terms of from the change the Padres' perspective of being on top of uh, how the team is spending their money or not spending their money and looking for all these loopholes they might be looking at, it is somewhat concerning that all of these deals are coming up backloaded. Or in terms of getting the cash from the Dodgers frontloaded, which I guess is basically the same thing because it in effect backloads that deal to Kemp. Um, I don't know what well, to make of it though. I, of the backloading? I mean, yeah, it's. I'm not- I, I'm, I'm on one hand, I'm definitely skeptical of their intentions because, first of all, this is still the Padres. I mean, for as excited as I am, I mean, I have season tickets. These are still the same people that went through letting Josh Burns have the same roster for years on end. This is the same guys that were here through the Morad years as part owners. So there still is that, you know, uh, hangover effect. And I can't shake that entirely. Plus, you have you know a relevant example in the Miami uh, Marlins, although I think that's a little bit different because I think those owners appear more vindictive, at least publicly. Um, so I haven't been able to make heads or tails of them backloading all these deals. 
And I've been trying to. I, I... Well, I, I read about it a lot where it's mentioned um, how amazing it is. And it's a positive that AJ Preller is able to offer this new roster at, you know, roughly 10% higher payroll than last year. I don't see it as a positive per se. Um, people act like there's no cost to that. And there's two schools of thought. I mean, a dollar today is worth more than a dollar in you know four years when the Shields contract is up. But um, I think even taking into account time value of money, it either, either ownership would come out and say, you know, we expect future years to have a much higher payroll or, you know, they've got to make cuts somewhere um, in the future to meet what appears to be their, their limitations of, of yearly cash flow, which seems to be well, about, about the $100 million mark. Well, not entirely, right? Because, I mean, at least part of it is Corey Lukey's off the books next year. Carlos Quentin's off the books next year. Uh, arguably Joaquin Benoit, although I think he would exercise his option. I mean, you can have him off the books next year if you want to go with a cheaper bullpen, which I think actually is analytical. So, I mean, well, that's true. But if you just take into account the, the Kemp pay increase, which is what I think $3 million this year, and it's going to go up to 25 or so next year, that 22 million oh. Delta covers the Quentin money, the Lubke money, and, you know, another $6 million or so. So, I mean, there's big increases on the horizon. Upton's gone, obviously. Um, so, but you've got to replace those players that you're losing also. What, do you even, I mean, for with Quentin and Lukey, for example, do you actually have to replace those guys? I mean, Quentin's doing nothing. We'll talk about him a little bit more in a little bit, but, I mean, he's not doing much. And Corey Lukey has provided nothing, right? Right, so, yeah. I mean, they're dead weight, for sure. Right, so there is some dead money there, and... As much as someone like Joaquin Benoit, you don't have to pick up his option next year. You would have to replace that. I mean, replacing bullpen guys on the cheap is kind of pretty easy to do in this landscape. So I can see an argument for why you would want to backload contracts based on the fact that the Padres have guys coming off the books that are basically doing nothing for the team right now. But as far as for future improvement, um, you we've talked about it. You know, Obviously, trading, you're giving up value. Signing people, you're gaining value. Um, you can only you can only do an off season like this off season where you deplete the farm system so many times. Um, there's not that much left there, you know, to rely on for next off season to rebuild um, without spending money on in free agency. And, and you know, it, it doesn't bode well to to backload contracts if you're not also going to increase payroll. Right. So so there's a couple extra things here, right? So there. Um, in terms of Yohan Moncada and the farm system depletion here, if they had signed Moncada, he might have started the year on the Major League roster. If not, he would have been very quick to ascend to the Major League roster, uh, presumably. But what it does is it means you can't sign anyone uh, in the international market next year above $300,000 or maybe the next two years. I, I don't exactly recall all the details. All I know is it would have severely restricted the Potter's ability to sign guys on the international market. Instead, now the Padres are in a scenario where there are many teams that can't sign guys on the international market above $300,000 next year, including the Red Sox for signing Moncada. I believe there's about 10 to 12 teams like this. And so what it means is that there's going to be about 20 teams going after talent that would ordinarily be available for more than 20 teams, for 
you know, all 30 teams in baseball. So essentially the Padres can build the farm next offseason, assuming, and this is an assumption, that that money we're going to spend on Moncada is something they're willing to spend to restock that farm system. And I don't see how how it would possibly make sense other than some arbitrary definition of money buckets that we've heard the Padres throw out there, why you would be willing to spend 60 million cumulative on one prospect, however elite he might be, and forego the value in signing all the other international guys over the next year or two. If you weren't willing to also then turn around the next offseason when you still have that $60 million or $63 million because you've been able to invest it over that one year and throw that at, you know, an unbelievable volume of international free agents. I would be, I would be pretty remiss if they don't do that next offseason. Yeah, and I, w- I would love that. You've discussed it. Um, Sackbunt Dustin on Padres Public had a great article on that. Um, and, I, you know, it's a winning strategy, I think. I, I hope that's what they have in mind. Um, and, and not only that, but that's that's like what Preller's known for, right? I mean, this is this was the narrative we got when they signed A.J. Preller. Now, granted, I'm not complaining about A.J. Preller at this point in time. I'm just saying that his forte was supposed to be his ability to, I guess, kind of bend the rules and locate talent in the international market. So I, I don't see why they wouldn't keep those purse strings open for him to spend that money on a large collection of assets to restock the farm next year. Now, at the same time, Moncada um, is much ho- more highly regarded than what I've read other upcoming prospects are looking like. Moncada um, is a, you know, a, a top prospect in all of baseball. Uh, I somewhat worry that the best players are rushing to come here now before the deadline. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. I, I, I think it was with Moncada. Um, I think, Mon- I think, well, I don't know. Yeah, but see, that's Cuban, right? So he's he's Cuban, but there's that's always true, an influx yeah. of Dominican guys every off season that you know come out to all these camps and whatnot, or play in some. I don't, I don't know. They're they're young guys. I mean, that doesn't stop. You know, the Dominican Republic does not stop producing 16 to 18 year olds that can play baseball. I can tell you right now, like you know, it wasn't like the 15 year olds were going out there this year to sign. I don't think that's what happened. And so, well, you know, yeah, I, it's, I just go back to this. So. Uh, when when he was with the Rangers, they signed Nomar Mazzara, and they also signed uh, another young guy named Gu- – uh, I forget his first name. His last name's Guzman, and they were both, I believe, 18 or 17 or 16 at the time they signed, and they signed for like 5 to $8 million each. And everyone thought it was crazy, and now Nomar Mazzara is a rising prospect star with like 20 home runs last year, I believe, in A-ball at the age of 19. So that's – see, that's what I'm saying, you know. If you're willing to pay $60 million for Moncada, why not pay $60 million on 10 guys next offseason that A.J. Preller you know, diagnoses as the top international free agents? Just do. I, I don't see how the money would be any different. Look, I, I think it's a good idea, but as you know, um, you know watching the Padres enough, um, I don't think it's the case where money saved this year will necessarily be rolled over onto next year's salary. Um, we've tons of people have speculated that for years that, oh, we're at, we have a little payroll this year because we know we're not going to be that great, but they'll roll that over to the next year when we can, you know, make a run at it. In almost yeah, every I mean, case, that, that's not how it works. 
you know, the yeah, money's I pocketed guess... and each year's budget and, you know, payroll is set for that year. I don't think it's based off of prior year's profits. Right. No, what, what actually happens is if they sign Moncada, Ron Feller has a cash call with all the minority owners and he goes, hey, we just got this awesome guy. We need more money. Whereas if they don't sign them, well, all of those other owners, they just buy new yachts and stuff. Like that's yes. probably what's yeah. happening. So uh, it's a little bit harder for them to come back next year and be like, hey, remember that yacht you bought last year with the money we didn't spend on that Cuban guy? You have to sell that yacht because we need it for a different guy who's not going to be here for seven years. I can understand how, you know, how the money doesn't actually just sit around. But, you know, so, I, mean, I, I, I like I mean, we all like the strategy, the idea of it. I just have serious concerns about <clears throat> about why why um, why we're back why why things are being backloaded why um, you know why the payroll is apparently capped at under a hundred million dollars in James Shields his contract makes even less sense to it you know Matt Kemp's backloading I think you can justify you can say Preller had this grand master plan um, that required more payroll flexibility I, I think that's a fair argument. But when it comes to James Shields, who is clearly being regarded as the capstone, the finish of our offseason, um, there's less justification for backloading his contract other than staying under an arbitrary limit. And it's concerning that that limit is at, you know, apparently $98 million, $100 million. That's still bottom third of Major League Baseball. Yeah, and that's assuming the next guy we're going to talk about is even on the payroll to start the year, and that is Carlos Quinton. Um, he's important here um, as spring training starts because apparently he's learning first base. I've seen about, I don't know, 20 to 50 pictures of him playing first base on social media. He seems open to the idea, at least publicly. Um, this has been the, the, the mighty 1090 caller, you know, blowhard caller's wet dream for a year now. That has been yeah, pursued I mean, repeatedly. I think it's something that you and I even have advocated time to time here because he cannot – I mean I actually have reservations about him even being a designated hitter. Like I actually think there are significant problems with him just standing upright and swinging a baseball bat and then running 90 feet. Like I think that is actually a physical challenge for him. Yes, I agree. Let alone actually playing a, a position defensively. But if he was going to play a position – and actually have a role on the team, you know, first base was the logical spot for him. Either that or you really lobby hard for a designated hitter rule. But I I can't say I'm surprised at all, and I can't disagree with the team decision to do that. And if, going a step further, I can't disagree with Carlos Quinton making that career choice either. No, and, you know, we have a backlog in the outfield, right? Carlos Quinton's not in the top five, probably maybe not even in the top six of possible options to carry on the roster. So, you know, the writing was on the wall. Either either find a place to go, and here's a here's a tip: nobody wants to trade for you, uh, or try a new position. I mean, this is pretty much his only option at this point. Right, and um, I mean, I would argue Abraham Almonte is probably higher on the depth chart than Carlos Quinton. Maybe. I mean, I, I guess I mean, they, Almonte... they've kept him around for a reason on the 40 man roster. I mean, I, I thought for sure. And actually Corey Brock at his uh, little get together at modern times thought it was a slam dunk that Almonte was going to be the one dropped for James Shields. And, um, you know, he wasn't. So, you know, for whatever reason, they've been keeping him around. 
Yeah, so there's the five outfielders that I think people would generally regard as the top five in the Padres, right? You have Upton, Kemp, Myers, who will probably be the starting three, and then you have Venable and Maben. I would actually throw Corey Spangenberg in this list, too, because play in the outfield. I'm Marista does have experience in the outfield as well. There's just nowhere for Carlos to go, right? I mean, he doesn't fit anywhere. No. So he had to learn a new now, if he's perfectly healthy and ha ha ha, right? But if he let's let's just say he can play 80 games at first base, that might actually be an asset, right? Like, I, granted, he sucked last year when he played. Look, this I, is something people I'm have actually, to keep in mind when they say when healthy. I'm I'm working on ideas for a new post regarding this, but we've talked about it before. The myth of uh, Carlos Quentin is a beast when healthy. That hasn't been true for years now. And looking at the first base options, I don't think Carlos Quentin is one of the top options at all. I, I would take Alonzo over him. Um, I, I would take a lot of different. I, I would take Dickerson. I'd probably. I'd rather try Dickerson. I'd rather try Medica. Um, who else do Gobert. we have? Decker, Cody Decker, Gobert. There's a huge list of people who I think can hit as well or better than Carlos Quentin and not be a total hack in the field. Like he's like number six or seven in my head for possible first baseman that I would want to see playing first base. Yeah, it's just it's going to come down to whether or not he can play it defensively. If he's going to clearly be very below average playing first base defensively, then I think there's there's no way you can play him regularly. If it looks like he might well, be past, then I maybe. mean, do do you think today that his hitting is good enough? to justify, let's say miraculously, he plays league average defense, which of course we know isn't true. His hitting is not good enough still to play first base. He was well, out hit by Yonder Alonso last year, who was pitiful, atrocious. Yeah, so here's the thing. we, I totally agree with you in the sense that Carlos Quentin has not demonstrated that he can hit well in a long time. But... I don't think that necessarily disproves that when healthy, he can hit well because maybe he just has not been healthy. And I know they've said, oh, he feels better than normal, blah, blah, blah. But he well, I don't know. Ad- Last year they said he's never felt better. It's the exact same things that they've said this year about him. I mean, right. people went into last year hopeful that he would be our starting left fielder and that he would, quote, be a beast when healthy. Yeah, and he had to change his stance and do all these sort of things in order to accommodate that, and that's another you know variable there. But – I'm just saying, it's in terms of upside, though, I mean, do you actually think that the offensive upside of someone like Tommy Medica or Cody Decker actually exceeds Carlos Quinn's? I, I mean, I honestly do. Yes, I, I think I mean, the I, upside of Cody Decker hitting is well above what I would expect from Carlos Quentin. I mean, I think Cody Decker's upside is like power hitting, poor field, 290, 290 on base percentage, twenty home runs at the major league level. Yeah, I, honestly, I think that's, that's well above what what best case for Carlos Quentin in 2015 is. I I just I, I have and, to, and that that's even assuming I, that he can stay healthy for the whole year, which obviously well, isn't. You know, I think I think there's like a 95 percent chance that, or maybe not 95, but maybe like an 85 percent chance that Carlos Quentin is useless, and there's a 10 percent chance that he's just like average, um, but there's a 5 percent chance he's actually like an awesome hitter. I, I mean, I don't think. I mean, there are other examples you can think of of guys who struggled through injuries for a long time and then put together a huge year. So 
Um, I don't know. At I mean, his, I, at his age with his injury history, I mean, who, who, who's, who's his comparable at this point? I would have to go like run a Fangraphs query on like age thirty-five seasons or something, but or whatever Carlos Quentin, whatever age he is, age fifty-two knees. But yeah, I mean, I'm look again. It's it's. I, I, there's a reason I said it was five percent, right? I don't even. I. <laughs> I don't even think it's 5% that – I mean, you gave pretty good numbers for the best case for Cody Decker, in my opinion. You know, 290, 20 home runs, league average fielder. That's that's pretty decent to me. I'd, I'd be I'd be perfectly fine with that out of first base. That's way above what I'm expecting out of Yonder Alonso. Um, it's I, – I just – I think it's less than 5% that Carlos Quentin could match that. Even if you take defense, league average defense out of the equation because that's pretty much an impossibility from him. I, I just can't see 290, 20 home runs as being a five, even a one in 20 chance out of him. I really I mean, we I haven't seen it. We do, I mean, the, we the do best a- Quentin has done is that right before he was extended, um, when he was acquired, he had a nice run of like 150 at bats, right, uh, with good power for that for that time. Yeah, um, can we? Can can we just do a nineteen to one burrito bet then on that? If That's you know fine. The- I'll take those odds. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you will owe me nineteen burritos, and I will give you one burrito if he doesn't a two ninety on base percentage with twenty home runs or more. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. All right. Perfect. I have a nineteen to one burrito bet. Man, that's going to be. Fun- and I and let, let me just make this clear. I I can eat oh, these nineteen I, burritos. Hold on. on this is this two ninety on base or batting average. On base. I can't believe you think that is Cody Decker's ceiling. It's a 290 on base percentage. He is not. That's, Amor- very... that's Amarista-esque. No, Amarista's lower. I mean, that is. I don't know. I, 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 he's struggled at the minor league level, man, in that department. Very, very poor patience, and there's a reason he hasn't made the major league roster yet. I think there's. There's no reason that he shouldn't have been given playing time at the end of last year. I mean, absolutely, right? Well, it is Amarista's task. He had a 286 on base percentage last year. Yeah, and that's projected for 285 this year. Yeah. This is Amarista. Um, I don't know what Cody Decker's is. Oh. But, anyways, it's the 20 home run. I I, I don't think he's going to get 20 home runs. So. Just for reference, Cody Decker in AAA had a 350 and a three, sorry, a 337 last year OBP. Again, that's at the AAA level, but OBP does take into account some things that wouldn't be altered by the the level, like I, uh, you know, based on balls percentage. Yeah. Okay, but his his zips projection is 272. So maybe maybe his 90th percentile is really like 298, high 290s. And let's my- also add, Cody Decker's like the number five option at first base. I, I think the team's got Dickerson above him. Um, at this point, they may have Jason Middlebrooks or uh, Will, Middle, Will Middlebrooks above above him. It sounds like yeah. they do. I mean, they told him to play, you know, practice first base. Okay. Well, anyway, it's actually when we're talking about first base, I don't think that's an entirely terrible option. I would much rather see Will Middlebrooks at third base and Solarte at third than. To see Carlos Clinton at first. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think 
I know you and I see Middlebrooks differently. I, I, I still think he has some upside, and there's no reason not to play him. Unless, again... Well, that's the way a, to play him. I mean, that's the way to play him. I, 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 no, I'm saying... If gamble, the, I'd rather gamble on him than Alonzo, I guess. But I, I think the talk of just installing him at third base because Preller picked him up this offseason is, isn't an entirely sound strategy. And I think it is downplaying what Solarte could bring to the lineup. Well, no, the reason you play him is because he's a 26-year-old who already has 35 home runs in a World Series ring and a long pedigree of being a top prospect. Like, I, I totally buy his patience problems at the major league level. Like, obviously, striking out 30% of the time or 25% of the time, whatever he has done at the major league level so far and walking less than 6%, that is a problem. But he's still 26. He's, he hasn't played yet as, a, as uh, anything older than 25, and he has, like, 35 career home runs. I mean, that's – you don't just ignore that, right? Like, at least I, I don't think you just ignore that for a guy like young Jervis Suarte who has a very clear – ceiling so i i'm and, and plus so far defensively middlebrooks doesn't have bad numbers he's a league average defender at third base so i, I don't think that's a negligible part of the equation here either no I, I agree i think defense is an important part i don't even know what solarte's defensive metrics were last year um i mean the eye test said he wasn't terrible but i don't know i can't quantify that Okay, so that's that's actually uh, what was going to be the next subject, starting off talking about all these spring training battles here. So I think there are mainly basically three. We, we just touched on third base. We talked pretty extensively about first base, although I think you and I would both be surprised if Yonder Alonso wasn't the starting first baseman at the beginning of, beginning of the season. There's another large position battle, though, and I think – too many people are assuming this one just belongs to Will Myers, but that is the center field job. So recently Cameron Maven came out and said that he thought he was the best center fielder on the team. Will Myers is the presuming, uh, presumable starting center fielder on opening day. Do you think this is actually a position battle? I don't know. It, it depends on where you put Will Myers. Will Myers isn't going to AAA, and he's not going to sit on the bench. So I guess – I don't know how he is at first base. I mean, that seems to be the place you just throw someone, uh, according to this team. Um, but I, I think Maven has possibly a valid argument. Um, a lot of the defensive issues would be mitigated um, in the outfield if you had a Maven patrolling center field. Um, so I can see the benefit of that, but I'm also cynical enough to not expect Maven also to be healthy or to count on him. Uh, for any type of real long-term production for the season. Important to at least give him some playing time there, though, because you are invested in him still some more, and you have an option in 2017 that, quite frankly, could still be a bargain. I, I know I talked about how there's probably no value on his contract, and I still think that's probably true in the sense that you're, he's probably going to be paid exactly what he's worth. I mean, this year he's going to get seven million, and next year he gets eight million. And I, and I could see him being worth, you know, three wins over that period of time, just based on him playing during injury time and maybe getting fifty starts at center field. So I think, from like an investment standpoint, you have to see if he can still play the position, because at one point in time he was the third best prospect in baseball. He had one really good second half of the season for the Padres a few years back. Um, 
And for as long as he's been in the major leagues, which seems like forever, because the Tigers called him up in 2007, he's still only 27 somehow. I, it, it's hard to put my head around because he's been in the big leagues for so long, but he's only 27. It's only one year older than uh, Will Middlebrooks, who was just saying, is really young. So there's upside there. Absolutely. And, and like I said, I mean, in 2011, now I know that's a long time ago, he was worth four wins. He was a plus offensive player, plus defensive player. He stole 40 bases. I don't think we should just write off his ability to play center field. No, I don't think so either. The team's tied to him contractually. Um, you know, like you're saying, he's got the pedigree. He's shown it on the field. And at the very least, if he doesn't hit, he's still a plus-plus defender in center field. Um, even, you know, if you look at it this way, I, I think of him a lot like um, Denard Spann on the Nationals. Um, you know, if, if he were able to stay on the field consistently, I think he could put up similar numbers to him. Denard Spann fetched uh, a pretty good haul from the Nationals for the Twins when he was traded. I mean, if you can – if the worst case is maybe you revive a little value out of him and pawn him off on someone, that's also a fine solution. Because yeah, you don't um, really need him. I mean, you do need his defense, right, in the sense that the metrics say that left field, center field, right field, that is not a good defensive pairing or trio that we're going right. to have. So having him come off the bench is nice. But he's still – You've also got – you've got Vanable also. Yeah, you still have Will Venable. You still have – I mean, we don't know if Spangenberg is going to be successful at the major league level defensively in the outfield, but he might be. So I, I can see him as being someone that you want to get playing time to build up his value, and at the same time, he's not necessarily a critical piece. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just defensively, you know, his 2012 was not very good. You know, he was, had accumulated negative 2.2 uh, he had negative value offensively, and his defense alone got him up to 2.3 war. I mean, he's very valuable in the field. Um, and he was playing that season, I believe. Is that the year that he had the wrist injury and they thought he could just play through it or something? It was misdiagnosed. Yeah, yeah I think so. That was One of year. many misdiagnosed Padres injuries of the past yeah. half decade. So, I mean, he's got value if he can stay healthy. I mean, that's the big if. Um you know, Will Myers isn't a slam dunk. I mean, he's produced, you know, his rookie year, but he wasn't very good last year. Um, we have no idea how he is in the field. That's one of the things I'm really eager to see in spring training. But um, I, I think, yeah, it's a possible battle, assuming they find a place for Myers. I mean, it makes it a little easier to make that decision if, say, Yonder Alonso totally sucks in spring training, and then they can just plug Will Myers in at first base to keep his bat in the lineup. Or Matt Kemp. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, that, that that's an option. It, it's impossible to say for now, but I do. Th- he's got real value. And I, I do see the value in having a stud defensive center fielder, regardless of the hitting. So, I, I actually think that's the most interesting camp battle. That's way more interesting to me than Solarte versus Middlebrooks. Yeah, I mean, I don't really think Middlebrook Solarte is much of a battle. I, I, I actually asked Bill Center about this this week um, in his Padres chat last Friday. I asked him if, for example, Middlebrooks and Solarte have horrible springs. Is it possible that the Padres might move Jerko to third and have Travis Lindsay 
or Corey Spangenberg start the year as the opening day second baseman, or maybe just call them up and have them play third and keep Jerko at second. And he said there was no chance of that happening. So, you know, Bill Center speaks in absolutes an awful lot, though, for and he's been wrong in the past. So I don't necessarily take no. everything he says. Yeah, I don't necessarily take everything he says, uh, you know, as gospel. He's very sure of himself. He's very confident. And but Brock but, always leaves himself an out. Center will just issue these absolute statements thinking that they're written in stone. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm I'm just slightly disappointed by that. A, because you would owe me a burrito if Spangenberg starts the year third or second or short. You know, just play him there, whatever. Or center field. Uh, yeah, and hey, look, I'd be happy if he starts a catcher as long as I get a burrito, and yeah. as long as they pull him in the first inning. Still, I just need that game started. Yeah. Um. I, but also because a lot of the projection systems are really bullish on Taylor Lindsay as a first uh, as a player this season. I mean, in terms of Zip's projected 50th percentile WAR, he is 0.1 below Jed Jerko. 0.1. Yeah. And you, you would think that that would mean maybe a camp battle with the way Jericho struggled last year um, and with all of the scouting praise heaped on Taylor Lindsay. But, I mean, there's not even a peep there. And I think it's understandable based on the contract you've given Jed Jerko and the fact that you don't have to call up Taylor Lindsay yet. But in terms of just putting the best team on the field, you would think that would be potentially something you talk about. At the very least, have it be a possibility for him to play third base over two guys who, yeah, I mean, Solarte and Middlebrooks both have problems. Granted, I, I still think you give Middlebrooks a chance, but if you have another top prospect like Lindsey who's looking good and, well, I mean, can play third base as well, why would you not at least have that as a possibility? I was, I was pretty disappointed to see it dismissed entirely. Well, it might have been dismissed entirely for the start of the season, but, you know, they have really good backup plan options, which is – something we couldn't have said in the past because we didn't even have plan A good options. You know, if Middlebrooks doesn't work out, if Jerko gets hurt, you know, we have decent options. I mean, if Taylor Lindsay gets called up to play second, I'm great with that. He's not Irving Falou. So, you know, we're already ahead of last year. Yeah. Um, As long as we're not playing like Brooks Conrad, Jeff Francoeur, and, you know, starting garbage on the same day, I'm happy with it. You know, it is is funny because – a couple years ago, like, not only did we not have a good plan A because uh, we just didn't have good players, but the guys we tried to sign in free agency turned out not to be good. So, like, our failed plan A was still an awful plan. Like, yes, not Edwin signing, Jackson. Yeah, not signing Edwin Jackson. I mean, actually, it's it's interesting because had they signed Edwin Jackson, they still would have been a better baseball team. So it's it's still hard to say they shouldn't have signed him, but it would have been an awful contract. Like, I, I would be pretty pissed off if they were still paying Edwin Jackson at this point in time like the Cubs are. But, you know, the, their old plan A's just were awful. And now plan C is calling up, you know, one of the Angels' former top prospects and a, and a guy who projects well. And it's kind of weird. It, it really is kind of weird that the Padres, you know, fifth outfielder was like our number two hitter to start the year last year. Yeah, absolutely. That are like afterthought utility infielder this year and Corey Spangenberg was a first round pick who everyone was hoping would be like Tony Gwynn light in the infield when we drafted him, you know, like all these different backup plans that are now, you know, previous 
starting plans, it's it's kind of a the world's been turned upside down. Potter's world has at least. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for everything except for shortstop, you know, I think things are looking. There's a lot of possible options to fill in injuries, you know, slumps, uh, poor performance. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And you know, with the first game of spring training being tomorrow, uh, hope should be the highest right now. And I think there's a lot of interesting things to watch in camp. Taylor Lindsay is one of the people I'm very, very excited to see. Um, um, yeah, so I'll be glued to my seat tomorrow at noon for the for this game. Yeah, I'm gonna be watching as well. Will you be going to spring training? I haven't fully decided yet, so there's there's still um, there are some questions in the air. Um, I won't get into the details on that, but I, I imagine I'll probably probably be out there for the weekend of the twentieth. Ooh, yes. Yeah. So there could potentially be a intelligence meetup. There, there might be. We should figure out someone to interview while we're there. We should, we should figure that out. Well, I did apply for a press pass and have been ignored. Yes, as did I multiple times last year and this year. Well, now that we're in the number three Padres blog, uh, maybe try it again. Although I don't yeah. think they'll give one to me. They may give one to you, but I don't think they'll give one to me. Yeah, well – Although Corey Brock said we can interview him, so that's one. I wouldn't mind talking to Corey Brock. Yeah. I mean, I was hoping to get a little bit more exotic than that, but... Oh, ooh, that sounds saucy. No, I mean, just in terms of... I don't know. Um, well, I have some ideas. Let me let me reach out to these people first, and then we can, we can go from there. Okay, because everyone, enough. Everyone comes to Arizona from spring training at some point, so... The the odds of overlapping with one of the big names and, and getting them to come on, not that Corey Brock isn't a big name in Padres land, but having someone that, you know, ordinarily wouldn't do the Padres circuit come on, I think that would be a little bit more cool. Yeah, I agree. Big stuff working. So uh, let's yeah. just try to get that meetup going. And if not, we can just reach out to another congressman or something. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at okay, these plan well, A's, plan B's. It's even working on the interview circuit. Yeah, well – um, I hate to cut this one off, but I do yes. know we have some other podcasts in the near future coming up soon. Uh, I'm not going to give any teasers, but uh, they should be good. So That uh, on its own was a teaser. It, it, it was a teaser. I don't want to give out the details, though. You don't want to – you don't want to – I don't want to give out too much. But we, we have some interesting podcasts coming up in the future, so do stay tuned. Um, in the meantime, spring training is finally here, and the Potters are going to start playing baseball. I can't believe it. Yeah. Best time of the year. Yep. All right. Well, until next time, go Padres. Go Padres.